y'all need another minute or y'all good to talk about that? Okay. Um, they're both the same, by the way. So, <laughs> the, um, so in Second Peter 1, um, and there's definitely significance in uh, these are the two. I chose these two passages because it is absolutely clear. Um, he's talking about the same person. That's where the Greek grammar comes in. He has to be talking about the same person for both of these attributes um, because of the, the construction that's, that's there, um, which is the only way that people can try to avoid the implication when he says of our, of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He has to be talking about the same person because of the grammatical construction. And people try to make the argument that it's not, but it is. <laughs> it's, it's very clear. Um, same thing that Paul says in Titus um, 2.13, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, this is, I mean, if you want to ask, did the disciples believe he was Jesus? Yes. Unless you're going to be, because regardless of who you talk to, and there's a variety of different people who would say a variety of different things, if you, can, if you say both Peter and Paul said something, then the disciples believed it. Um, um, it has to do with, you know, and this Titus, just to bring it up, kind of finish maybe some of the Messiah talk. The thing that they missed, the thing that was missed that wasn't totally clear in the Old Testament about the Messiah was he would come twice. They thought he was going to come once to set up the kingdom and do all these things. And the reality of it is he's going to come twice. He came the first time to deal with the greater enemy, which is sin. And the second time he's coming to put all put death to death, in a sense, um, and to finish and recreate this world that's been um, distraught and continues to be distraught by sin. Um, what they missed was he's coming twice. Um, and so, as we go on, we look at three major sources. Um, like I said, as far as Jesus' own affirmation in his own words, not that there's not, there are a lot of other places, particularly um, if you're interested in this, you can look at, he received worship as God. Thomas, when he came back, said, my Lord and my God to him. And he didn't go, blasphemy, don't say that to me like the angels do in the Old Testament, say, don't worship me. He said, he just had no response. He accepted it, which is another major argument. Um, because he wouldn't have considered a light thing either, you know. So, um, so then, Jesus must be the one God, right? Which is the only, okay, well, he's the one God then from Deuteronomy, right? He's just here. So, read John 17, 1 through 5. And if you feel a little disequilibrium on this, if you feel a little off as you're reading through this, that's part of the point. I want you to feel this tension. Um, because this is, what, this is what the Christians before us have had to deal with.
If you get done with John 17, 1 through 5, um, and you don't feel like your mind's totally like blown out of the water, then you can go on to the Matthew 3, 13 through 17. You might want to hold your place because I'll go back and talk about John 17, 1 through 5. But There's only one question for Matthew three thirteen through seventeen as well. Okay, another minute and then we'll talk about it. Okay, so let's start out with John 17, 1 through 5. So this is the, the last recorded prayer of Jesus before the crucifixion. Um, uh, the last things that are recorded that um, kind of when he was spending time in prayer before he knew he was about to die. Um, did Jesus think that he was the one and only God? No, <laughs> he didn't. He didn't say it like, not in the sense of a singularity, right? He recognized the Father. He acknowledged the Father. In fact, what did he call the Father? He said, um, I believe it's in this passage. Yeah. Now, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. So, the only true God. Um, If you talk to Muslims a lot... They're probably going to bring that one up if they know Scripture at all. Um, And so I wanted to go on and address the question just briefly, and we'll talk more about it later when we're talking about the characteristics of the individual members of the Trinity. Um, Anybody got any ideas on what he could have meant? Huh? Yes, just, just kind of the question: What, what could Jesus be talking, uh, talking about, and referring to God, to the Father being the one true God? Any ideas? Anything? Yeah, well, huh? I mean, <laughs> no. I think 
this question was good. I mean, you think, realize like how I think of it mm-hmm. as being that you know Jesus is the physical manifestation of like a reflection of God, mm-hmm. and like while he's his own entity, he's like the if um, not if he was human and God, mm-hmm. but like if God were human, this would have looked like in the same way with the um, the Holy Ghost being. Like, the spirit of God, mm-hmm. Me- meaning like it's all in connection with God, not. <laughs> yeah, right. Never mind. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's this is this is your, this is the tension we feel, right? Yeah. I'm, this is supposed to be a tension point, right? This is when you should feel the tension of. The reality of what is. Um, and well, I'll bring it up a little bit later. But one of the characteristics of Jesus that he has had and scripture relays he continues to have is submission to the father. He submits himself to the father in the book of John. I, I did a little search the word um, uh, on the word initiative. And seven different times he says, I do nothing of my own initiative. I do what the Father tells me to do. I do what I see the Father do. I do. He is, this, and we'll talk about this as one of the characteristics of the Trinity, how they relate to one another is at issue here. Um, uh, and, and we have to understand that there's a distinction between who they are as being, as a, as, an individ, as a tri-personal being, and how they relate to one another. Um, but Jesus clearly, it even says, once the Father... So, He dies in submission to the Father. He's, you, know, you can look at Philippians 2 particularly, which, which we'll talk about if we have time towards the end. But he, it's, it even says... He submits himself to the Father and lets the Father give him whatever he whatever comes. And the Father and what Scripture says is because he submits himself that way, that is why he will be given the kingdom. And then it says, once he's given the kingdom, he will return everything back to the Father, so that he might be all in all. It's it's this cycle. It's about their who they are as individual persons and how they relate to one another as even in the midst of their, their uniform godness. Okay. So this is a tension point. If you have questions, feel free to ask. Um, but I won't stop. This isn't like the end of the explanation either. So yeah. But isn't it also Jesus prayed in this way because he's also given us an example of how we need to love and obey God. Absolutely. Doing all these things for our benefit. Right. Absolutely. That's absolutely right. You can't undervalue the 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 importance of the example of who Christ is to us. Um, it, that and what we really see in Scripture is He's giving us an example, and it's part of the essence of His faithfulness of who He is as the one who is faithful to the Father. Um, as the one who is uh, the perfect man, he does these things. And he looks to the Father in this way. It, it's interesting, as you're saying that about him, the same point. Um, I, I always think about that as like Christ is the example of how we should live our lives, obviously. But it's interesting, I hadn't thought about it being unusual that 
we don't we don't think about trying to be more or I don't more godlike. I think about trying to be more Christ-like. Mm-hmm. You know, and maybe that's part of the reason too that not not just to like <laughs> sorry. No, I understand. Working this out, right? But like, I I think so much about like, yes, Christ came to take on the weight of our sins mm-hmm. by grace that we might be forgiven. But mm-hmm. also, I think like that example is necessary mm-hmm. too, right? And if God was one, one, <coughs> not three, one, uh-huh. yeah, then we see that, you right? Know, it be way too far, right? Right. And so we'll keep on talking. Like I said, this isn't the end of the explanation. So. So <laughs> the question is, and I intentionally, hopefully y'all don't think me like sacrilegious to use the word mess here. Um, how can we put this mess together? Because that's what the disciples were having asked themselves in the midst of all this. And that's what all faithful followers of Christ have to ask themselves. How do we put this together? This is, these are drawings that people make, you know. It really doesn't, I mean, it's a picture, but it doesn't say much that they all are God, but they're not each other is all is all it's saying. Um, uh, The father is God most of the time. And and I'll talk about this in a second, a little bit more. Most time when you see the word God, it is talking about father um, uh, in the New Testament. If you just see the plain word God, not necessarily, but most of the time Um, Jesus is God for the reasons we looked at the other. The people around him seem to think that's what he was saying. Um, he seemed to clearly be saying that and his disciples clearly seemed to believe that, um, particularly post-resurrection. They made strong affirmations of it, both Peter and Paul. Um, uh, and then there's this Holy Spirit talked about continuously by Jesus that appeared at his baptism. Um, uh, and so this is kind of what we have and what the church has to work with. Is because if we want to be, you know, this comes down to two questions. The doctrine of the Trinity comes down to two questions. Do we believe that Scripture is the true Word of God? And do we believe that Jesus was God? If we say no to either of those, then the discussion of the Trinity is easy to get around because you just go, that doesn't make sense. Um, But the people, but also understand this. The people who are saying that doesn't make sense and choose an alternative are saying one of those two things. Either scripture doesn't matter or um, Jesus isn't God. That's the only two ways to get around this problem. Um, It comes back to is scripture true? Is Jesus God? That's what differentiates us from every other belief, every other belief system um, that there is. Okay. Right. It's just that the Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Spirit. The Spirit is not the Father. Okay. And vice versa. Going, well, that's how we see it. We're, we're saying that Jesus is God. Right. Which is what the middle tells you. So that's where, this is where, see, this is what trips you up. This is what can trip you up. Most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time, God in the New Testament, you are the one true God. Father. He's talking about the Father. Obviously, there are places not. We just looked at Titus and Second Peter where he's our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's not talking about the Father there. That's where the Greek comes in, where people try to explain it away. Well, he's talking about the Father and then Jesus. The Greek does not allow that. 
it has to be taught. Both characteristics have to be talking about Jesus. Um, that's the significance of those two passages. If you really want, you know, if someone's trying to say he's never, Jesus is never explicitly called God, which is what you're going to have to deal with in talking to Jehovah's Witnesses, those passages. Um, they wrote, one of my professors became a professor rather than a pastor out in California because the Jehovah's Witnesses rewrote the Bible. They decided they'd throw scripture out and throw the Jesus is God thing out. They threw both out. Um, but, but to try to reinterpret that, um, uh, they changed John 1, particularly John 1, 1. Jesus is a God is what they changed it to, um, which is also there's another um, not that you necessarily want to look up um, Greek grammar, but it's definitive. Um, it's called Caldwell's rule. I can I can give it to you. Maybe synthesize it even for you if you'd like and email it to you. Um, Caldwell's rule. This is called the Granville Sharp rule. Is the reason why Second um, uh, Peter one one and Titus two thirteen have to be talking about Jesus as God. Um, those are two key texts for you if you're talking to someone who's a Jehovah's Witness. Um, uh, so. So now, putting together what the Bible records is what the doctrine of the Trinity is about. And we didn't make this up just because, you know, like, people tried to talk about it like, hey, we're just having a good time and just, you know, we want to make something hard for you. No, it's not that at all. We're trying, to, what we're saying is, Scripture is true, Jesus is God, so how do we explain this relationship that Scripture presents to us? That's what the doctrine of the Trinity is about. Um, and so... Don't let it be anything. Don't let people try to play it off like it's anything less than that. Like it's some church conspiracy or something like that. No, it's just trying to be faithful to all of it. Um, it, You get yourself in this kind of situation. Um, The first formal statement of the Trinity developed by the church, which is called the Nicene Creed, it was originally developed in um, 325 A.D. and was... uh, was then kind of this final form was in 381 A.D., so a long time ago. Um, it was the uh, it was in response to the Arian controversy, which is pretty much what is which is a lot like what Jehovah's Witnesses believe. They were saying Jesus is the first created being; he is not God; he is not eternal. Is is what Arian was saying? How can they, how can they explain that when the same, the same way that uh, um, uh, all good heretics do, they use scripture. And he combined a proverb which said, um, "Wisdom is the first created being, first created thing." And um, in First Corinthians, where it says, um, or, or Colossians, where it says, wait, First Corinthians, where it says, um, "Jesus is the wisdom of God." And so, Jesus is the first created thing. Which is why we have to learn how to interpret our Bibles as well. Um, Because everybody uses the Bible. (laughs) Um, uh, So, this is the beginning of the Nicene Creed. I've kind of broken it down as it addresses each of the individual members. So, I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible. So, you know, a lot of what we think of when we come to think of God is they affirm primarily about the Father. He is the creator of all things. Um, uh, 
Notice there's not a whole lot, you know, and you'll see compared to the other, particularly one of the other sections about the father, because there wasn't any any dispute about the nature of the father. This is not usually where things go awry um, uh, in belief. Everybody likes the idea of the father, the one monotheistic God that's off there and we can't touch him and we can't see him. That's easy. That's easier in a sense for people to believe. That's Muslim. Um, You know, that's where they like it to be. Um, uh, (laughs) This is the section on Jesus. Okay. Um, And in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten son of God, begotten of his father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, begotten of one substance with the father by whom all things were made. Um, whom for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Ghost of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried and the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of the Father and he shall come again with glory to judge both the quick and the dead. Um, That just means the alive and the dead. (laughs) It's old English. Um, Which whose kingdom shall have no end is what that's supposed to say. Um, so first of all, notice the emphasis on the word begotten in contrast to created. Um, one of the, one of the most difficult aspects of this, whenever, you know, John three sixteen, you know, his, his one and only son is he, he begot him. When we think begot, when, when they say I have, when I say I have a son, I mean, I had a son. Right. In time, uh, me and my wife, you know, y'all understand um, birds and the bees. We had a son and he began. Right. And he started. That's not what begotten means when we talk about the relationship of the father and the son. It's a which is tricky (laughs) to say the least, but it's not talking about a beginning of existence. It's different in that sense. It ha- it's explaining the relationship that they have to one another. Notice they even make the point, begotten, not made. He was not created by the Father. Jesus has always existed with the Father. He is equal in substance, even though different in function. They call it the economy. You hear that within the economy within the person of God. How do things actually work? How do they function? Um, it's that distinction that they're, they're equal in essence is, is one way to say it. Equal in essence. It's equal in value. Equal in who they are. But they are... Different in function. We think of the Father, we think of the one who created all things. We think of the Son who participated in creation with all, in all things. That's what John 1 tells us. He was, he was the, the conduit for creation, but um, he is distinct from the Father and different in function. He works differently. He does differently. He, re- he relates to the Father differently.
So that's where there's an emphasis on substance, being of one substance with the Father. They're trying to say he, they're all equally valued. They're all equal to be worshipped, which I'll synthesize this in a second. They're all equal to be worshipped even though they do different things because the Father doesn't come, didn't come to the Virgin Mary. The Father wasn't crucified and the Father won't be resurre- wasn't resurrected from the dead and the Father won't return to set everything right. It's the Son. He sends the Son. And that's where this relationship of father-son comes about. Um, It's from the way that they relate to one another, not because he was born of the father, in the sense that we think born. Um, And then this is the last, or this is the second to last section. Um, And I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Lord and giver of life, who proceedeth from the father, um, who with the father and the son together is worshiped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. Um, Once again, not much emphasis, um, uh, but there is an intentional assertion that he's equal with the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped. So it's a strong emphasis on the equality within the members, but that they have, it's an acknowledgement that they function differently from one another. Does that make sense? This is, this is at the heart of what we're trying to do in our explanation, um, our understanding of how they relate to one another. And where does all of this Nicene Creed come from? The Nicene Creed was... <laughs> Christianity became the official religion in 320-something B.C., around 325. Um, what about that... So before then, it was all underground, basically, you know. Um, think like China, like there's some floating around. Sometimes they were persecuted, sometimes they weren't. Sometimes they were, you know, um, something like that. Um, the emperor became a Christian, uh, Constantine. So they started being able to meet together. What they did was in Alexandria, which is in Egypt, there was Arius started causing problems saying Jesus wasn't, wasn't God, saying he was just the first created being. And they gathered together all the bishops from all the churches in all the cities for the first... That's what a council is. Um, so it was at the Council of Nicaea that they came up with the Nicene Creed. And then they, they kind of polished it off. It, 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 there were still some problems until 381 they kind of finished it off. And this is kind of the final form um, that they ended up with. So it's all the, all the Christian leaders gathering together doing their best to say what do we mean when we say that God's that the father is God the son is God and the spirit is God um, so that's where I'm this was the first attempt to put this as a community into words it's not the first time people talk about it by any means don't you know people try to say that too oh they Jesus became God at the council of Nicaea that's not true there's writings before this for sure um, we don't have a whole lot of writing in general from that time period just because it gets destroyed and these kind of things. But there's clear writing that this was recognized. It's just the first time that all believer, you know, that the major believers got to get together and try to hash this out. What are we trying to say when we say all the affirm all these things? Um, so and then finally, they finish this up because a creed is something to be memorized. 
um, by the community so that the community has the core aspects of the Christian faith in their mind and has taught them. Um, and I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Um, the ending just wraps together a statement of the basis of Christian belief. Um, also, a special note, you know, what Catholic means in our minds, not what they were talking about. Catholic means universal. Um, uh, so the Roman Catholic Church is trying to make a claim, um, but Catholic in the actual creed just meant all. Um, everyone who's a part of the church believes this. Um, it, which really gets at what's the heart of this. This, this is a very core issue. Um, it's a core issue of belief. Um, so how do we understand the Trinity? Um, the best place to start in my mind is to think of the characteristics of the individual members of the Trinity because that's how we relate to God. You know, I relate to the Father in certain aspects. I relate to the Son in certain aspects. I relate to the Spirit in certain aspects. And so when we think of the Father, this is by no means an exhaustive list. Once again, I didn't want to either bore you or overwhelm you. Um, but the source of all things... So this is where they're getting at the creator of heavens, earth, the source of all things. This is why we call the son, what we, the son and the father, why he has the higher position. He's the um, um, the fount of deity is, is a, a term that's used sometimes. Um, he's the sovereign ruler. He has functional priority in the Trinity. This one can be this is function. You remember, you have to keep the distinction between um, value like essence, equal in essence, but different in function. The Father has functional priority over both the Son and the Spirit. He send, the Father sends the Son, right? How did God love the world? He sent His Son to die. The Father sends the Spirit. After I'm gone, the Father will send you one. Um, John uh, 13 through um, 16 is very heavy on Jesus explaining what the Spirit will do when He returns. Or whenever, whenever, he, whenever he gets sent. Um, uh, the one to whom all things will return. This is helpful. Um, 1 Corinthians 15 is about the resurrection from the dead. Um, if you haven't been taught much on that, it's a good place to start. Um, Paul's talking about the importance of the concept of the resurrection of the dead. Um, uh, but in particularly in First um, Corinthians fifteen twenty eight, he's kind of laying out the whole what happens in the end, and he explains Jesus returns, he sets up, he he takes care of everything, he finally demolishes death, um, it's done with, um, uh, and then he returns the kingdom to the Father, so that he might be, so that the Father might be all in all. Um, Jesus talks about one of the validations of his ministry, Jesus' ministry, was he said, if I glorify myself, then I'm not valid. The way you know I'm true, the way you know I'm valid is I glorify the Father. This is that functional priority of the Father um, within the relationship of the Trinity. Um, and like I'd said before, much of the time the term God refers to the Father. Um, Jesus the Son Okay? He's unique among the Trinity in the combination of a human and God nature. So starting whenever he became a baby, 
he had a human nature. Not to say he did not, he existed before he became a man, but he continues on for eternity as a man. Um, it says he's in the Father. How did he leave? You know, in Acts, he went up. He didn't disappear. It wasn't a poof. He ascended into heaven. Um, he is a man. This became an essential part of who he is. Um, and from every indication that we have, he continues on like this. Scripture gives no indication that ever, he ever becomes purely a spirit again. This is part of, this is, I, see the, I see the questioning look. This is part of John's point because people were already starting to deny this, that he was even a body when he came back. Um, it, when you read in the Gospels, and particularly the Gospel of John, the first, you know what the first thing Jesus asks, he does, he says, hey, come over and eat. And he, this is why John makes the note, he ate the fish. He make, it's in one of the other Gospels too, at least, um, one of the synoptic Gospels, uh, or the other three Gospels. He ate, he had a body, they touched him, he was there with them. He could go through walls, he could do things that, you know, that we can't do, but he has a body. He's gotten, um, he's got a body from every indication that we have. Um, all things were created through him. This is John one. Okay. Um, his life and death in submission to the father brought about the redemption of the church. Um, he's waiting to return to finally conquer sin and death by resurrecting and judging all humanity. Um, he's waiting at the right hand of the father right now until the father sends him back. Um, um, and he will hand over all rule and authority back to the Father once this is all done. Once he's done doing the work of the Father, then he'll give the work that he's completed back to the Father um, so that he might be all in all. So you, you see this, um, this relationship, continue this, this understanding of equal in essence but different in function. Um, uh, so the Holy Spirit... Um, also referred to as the Spirit of Christ sometimes in Scripture, um, both in, um, uh, I think it's, it will probably just be in uh, like post-Gospels, it'll be referred to as the Spirit of Christ. Um, I don't remember Jesus referring to it. Is that, I could be wrong there. But um, generated Jesus within Mary's womb is one of the things said, the Holy Spirit came to Mary. Um, uh, inspired the scriptures. This is another one of his functions. He was the one who inspired the writers of scripture um, to write the words of God. That's why we call it the word of God because we say he had an integral part um, in in that process. And then the spirit uh, brings life to the believer even in the midst of our struggles with our sinful nature. Um, he's the one at work within us, changing us, um, uh, given to us um, sealing us in our salvation, um, our assurance. So, then, the characteristics that, that they share are the essence of Godness. Okay? So, what the doctrine of the Trinity is about is we recognize they have different functions, they do different things, um, they have different minds, different emotions, different wills. Um, uh, uh, but they share certain things. This is, once again, this is not an exhaustive list, but these are some of the main ones. Okay? 
Eternality. This comes up over and over again. Eternality. They are all eternal. They, none of them have a point of creation. There was not a time when they were not, is a way to put it. Um, righteousness. Their character. Um, holiness. The uniqueness of them. Here is the Lord your God. The Lord your God is one. They are unique in who they are. And they are equal with one another. Even though they relate in love towards one another in different ways, they are equal with one another. Um, So, therefore, we would say they are three individual persons, but one unique essence. And this comes, this is, this is one of the, well, I'll talk about it in just a second um, as, we, as we talk through some of this. Um, so what we are not, or how we, well, let me see. Why don't we take a break right now? Yeah, we'll take a break and then we'll come back and kind of get as far as we can to, to finish this thing out. Because that was a whole lot. Can you go back to that diagram? Absolutely. <laughs> I don't know why it's confusing me. Nope. Okay, so if, if you were to show me that for the first time, how would you explain that? Okay, so what it's affirm it's affirming one thing and it's denying another. It's telling me that each of these is God. That's what the center part is. Okay. Um, uh, and then it's telling me each of the individual parts is not the other. This isn't the best drawing I've seen of this, but it's the one that I could find <laughs> as I was coming up with this. Um, all it's saying, see the arrows go both ways. Right. So the father's not the son. The son's not the father is all it's saying. Mm-hmm. The father's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's not the father. Mm-hmm. The son's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's not the son. I, I guess I'm just... <laughs> if, if you're stumped, I think you're in good company. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> No, I'm, I'm just okay. I guess I was confused because, and maybe it's just my my understanding in my head that I have always put Father where the word God is. Mm-hmm. But now, now I'm, I'm lost. Right. And like I said, I I'm not worried about this personally. No, I understand. But how do I explain it when they come to visit? I, right. She's got Jehovah's Witnesses coming. She was raised Jehovah's Witness. This is their stumbling block. Oh, yeah. Right. They don't believe this. Right. They don't believe the Trinity. Yeah, so. Right. And so what the, the key is, um, and this is where, like, particularly for Jehovah's Witness, and this is where, you know, and I'll, I'll reiterate this at the end of this, I can't give you an answer. Right. I can give you an honest discussion mm-hmm. about what Scripture says and why we come up with the doctrine of the Trinity. Because that's all you can have. You can't make someone believe it. You can't, it's not something you can talk to the, I mean, you can talk about, there's all these logical arguments for the priority of it, and I think some of them are very good and valid, but they're out here. I mean, there's um, the issue of belief, you know, with Jehovah's Witnesses, it's um, Scripture, because they do, they, they say they have a very high regard for Scripture, um, they retranslate it, but but they they retranslate certain parts and and it's questionable translation it's not a it's n- by no means they had like one academic guy who kind of made some arguments but it's it's not a 
solid translation. I would guess off the top of my head that those two, the second Peter and the other one, uh, the issue is, is Jesus God? That's the, that's the point you have to make. And it's, to me, the issue, and this is absolutely the same with Muslims, um, it's not, you can't say like, look, it, it, it's not going to get the point across. It's not going to undo their belief by just hammering them on. It's this one point. It's, you have to paint the picture for them that Scripture paints. Um, and that's why I chose to try to take you all through it this way, to try to paint the picture of why are people saying that the Trinity is what it is anyway. It's because when we look at, when we have a, a, a true conversation with the Scripture, this is what we have to say about it. Um, you know, are there verses that Jesus, that say Jesus is God? Yes, there are. There are. You know, they, they can, they have, do they have things, explanations? Probably so. You know, have they come up with other explanations? Because they're trying to defend their belief too. Um, uh, you can't make them be honest though. So it's part of it. what do they say they believe? Because I have taught, Tiffany is the one who was raised to come with Okay. was not. Okay. But through a series of marriages and divorces, he has fallen away from the Lord. Mm-hmm. And then when he married Tiffany, because of his his bitterness and his hurts that he's mm-hmm. never worked through, mm-hmm. he was like, Great, I don't believe that either. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just it would right. be another way for him to not turn back to the Lord. Absolutely. So when I have asked her, she's not practicing. Mm-hmm. She's raised in Rosewood and she's not okay. practicing. She celebrates holidays and Christmas okay. and some of those things that they don't do. Okay. And when I ask her, trumps. tell me what you believe. Mm-hmm. Do you believe that Jesus was the one by the uh-huh. You know, she answers some of the questions. Like Mormons do, yeah. But I guess I'm yeah. not asking the right questions because Right. Right, and that's what I have right here for you. You have it. You have it on your PowerPoint right there. This is my first. This is my first one. What Jehovah's Witnesses would say is that, and this is the full explanation of who Christ is. And so, yes, you ask him, is Jesus Christ the Son of God? Yes, he's the Son of God. Is Jesus Christ God? No, he's not God. And that's where Second Peter one one and Titus two thirteen. Hammer home that point. There is no other explanation for these verses. Peter thought he was God. Paul thought he was God. And I would say, I, I don't know I, that I've ever heard an explanation for John eight fifty seven, But Jesus said he was God there. If you honestly look at what Exodus says and what Jesus says right there, he claims pre-existence, which they wouldn't deny either. This is where it's tricky, especially when you get into these pseudo-Christian. These are Christian cults. They've, they've taken it and, and tweaked it to fit what's more comfortable to them. Right. You know, um, Just like it's more comfortable to them to think that you work your way into heaven. You work your way into these good spots. Um, that's why we choose these kind of things. You know? um, it's, the, the idea of grace is just as repulsive to people as the idea of the Trinity. Um, when we really look at it. That's why we have so much trouble in Christian churches with it, too, you know. Um, that's why we had the division of Catholics and Protestants. Because grace, the idea of grace, pure grace, is repulsive to us, too. Um, uh, we don't like things we can't understand. We don't like things 
that we don't feel like we have our hands around, in a sense. Um, the logical argument against that is, well, if any God who is truly God should be beyond that for us, he should do things we wouldn't think to do. We should be saying, you know, like, I've, I've got a great song on my iTunes, like, it, not, like, I can't remember exactly what the title is, but the whole theme of the song is, this isn't the way I would do it. I mean, there's hundreds of Christian songs and ballad. That's not the way I would do it. But we shouldn't... This was always a big affirmation for me when I was really thinking through my faith. Is Shouldn't it be like that? Shouldn't it be different than what we would think? Shouldn't it be a little bit off in, 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 in a certain sense? And so... I'm going to get started. So, how are we not to understand God? Um, Jehovah's Witnesses, which is a Christian cult, so they use the they use the same terminology a lot of times. They use the same book. They've rewritten it a little bit. They didn't rewrite it a whole lot. That's why I think like John one is changed in their Bible. But I I don't know that Second um, Peter one one and um, uh, and Titus 2.13 would be changed because those kind of things slip under the, you know, people don't catch them. And if it is changed, you have, not that you want to get into Greek arguments, but you have the best argument. It's absolutely not possible, no exceptions anywhere to that rule, um, that it has to be referring to the same person. So they would have to deny Peter and Paul both to be able to really throw that out. If they're genuinely being honest with themselves. Um, uh, so Jesus is the Son of God, a created being. This is, exact, this is just about... It's similar. I'm not saying it's the exact same as what Arian... What, what caused us to develop the Nicene Creed in the first place is, but it's very similar. Um, uh, but what they would say is, uh, Christ is, is believed to have originally existed in a pre-human status as the archang- arch, archangel Michael... This is where it gets random when you get into the cult's real beliefs. It gets kind of random. So they would say he is pre-existent. So that's where they can get past the before Abraham was, I am. Well, at least that's where they can get past the before Abraham was. They still don't deal honestly with the I am. They'll probably say it doesn't have to mean that. But in the context with nothing else, it, how would a logical person take those words How did the people, and that's where you can draw them back to, how did the people in the situation take those words? They took it as he was saying he was God. (laughs) That's why they tried to stone him. You know, because as much as they want to say what, how they would interpret or how they could interpret it, what's important is how would the people interpret it and what did Jesus mean when he said it? Um, uh, He later took human form as a man like any other person, except that he was sinless at birth and remained so throughout his earthly life. So he was still sinless. Um, Jehovah's Witnesses do not believe in the bodily resurrection of Christ. They do not believe he was resurrected. So you've got um, 1 Corinthians 15 is very good for that. Um, uh, As far as the importance of a bodily resurrection, they once again have to deny Paul if they want to deny a bodily resurrection. Because Paul says very explicitly, he says, if you deny Christ was raised... Or if you deny we're raised, you deny Christ was raised. If Christ wasn't raised, we're to be pitied above all men because we testify wrongly about God. And our faith is in vain. It's useless. We might as well not even show up. Um, uh, Then they believe that after the crucifixion, Christ died and was resurrected as an invisible 
non-material, glorious spirit creature, which is, there's lots of people who've said that in the past. Um, uh, They believe that Jesus appeared on earth after his resurrection in a special body that Jehovah created for him. So, yeah. Is that along the lines of why the the resurrection is different in, in the Gospels? Right, those kind of things, and these, yeah, they're probably trying to deal with those little idiosyncrasies. The the problem is, it's just like any time you tell an elaborate lie, there's always going to be holes in your story, and that's where um, they're they're reinterpreting and changing things. But you're always going to miss something, and so that's where particularly the Second Peter and the and um, Titus become so big. Okay, so this is one way not to understand God, that Jesus was the first created being um, or a created being.